I'm excited to have the last conversation in our Lonely series. So we've been having this conversation. If you missed it or you missed part of it, you missed the beginning of it, I'm going to give us a little bit of a rewind just so we know where we're coming from. Because this is your, if this is your first time in the room connecting with us, if you're watching online for the first time, you're going to go, why are, we, why are we having this conversation? Why are we talking about loneliness in church? And what does that look like? And we just started with this simple question, uh, why are we so lonely? And I talked about this a couple weeks ago. We are more connected than ever, right? I, when I was speaking at the camp last week, I talked about how um, the kids that were there have no idea what dial-up is. They have no idea what long-distance phone calls are, right? We just know what those are. If you, even as 34, right? I'm not old, but, you know, I know those things. I remember them. I know that that's the case. And so we have a new connectivity. We can FaceTime anyone, any, anywhere around the world that we want to. Yet what that does is that creates this distance between us. Because when it's easier to get together online or we don't have to go into work, or we don't have to have the conversation in person, it means it's easier for us to just choose that and then not choose to be around other people. And in some ways, this is really good, right? Because it's nice that for our employers that now let us work at home, we don't have to drive a half hour into the office. We can just stay at home and actually get more work done maybe at home because we don't have an hour round trip commute like we did before. So there's really good things to this. But the negative aspect is when we choose to not be in person more often, we lose that connectivity relationally. And so what we're seeing is some of that will happen. I actually saw a poll that another pastor did, and he said, which do you think will kill you first? Uh, Six alcoholic drinks a day, obesity, smoking 15 cigarettes a day, or loneliness? And the reality is what we're looking at and what scientists are telling us by the studies we've done on our lives is that loneliness is the worst of those four options. No one would think that really just in our culture. I mean, it's coming to light now, but previously you would have said drinking six drinks a day or smoking 15 cigarettes a day, something like that, right? That would probably be the worst part, but really loneliness has a worse impact. And I shared this quote a few times. I'll share it again. A woman named Elena Rankin wrote an NPR article in 2019 that just said uh, more than three in five Americans report being chronically lonely and that number is on the rise. And we talked about how that was 2019. 2020, loneliness goes up because we all separate, all that stuff. So it would be continued to be up. And I shared this too from Vivek Murthy, who is the uh, Surgeon General, and he's written a book this year about all of this. He said this, that the impact of lacking social connection on reducing lifespan is equal to the risk of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. We just talked about that, and it's greater than the risk associated with obesity, excess alcohol consumption, and the lack of exercise. Simply put, weak social connections can be a significant danger to our health. And and here's the thing that we have the opportunity with. This is not just a church conversation. It's not just a culture conversation. We're all having this conversation. Everybody in in our culture, even in just the West, usually, is kind of having this conversation of how is technology, how are these things impacting us in our personal relationships? And when we get to this conversation, other people that don't know Jesus will simply look back at our history and they will say, well, when as we were developing, right, an evolutionary process, we needed other people. Therefore, we continue to need other people. But here's the challenge I would say back to that is if we're evolving, right? If, let's just go with that, right? Let's just say evolution was the process. If evolution was the process and we just keep developing in a certain direction, couldn't we realize or think about the fact that we're evolving in a different direction and continue on that path because it would be better? Like what's stopping us from saying, actually, we needed each other in the past, but now that we have technology, we don't need each other as much. So it's good to evolve into this more I can do things on my own. I don't need to depend on other people. Isn't that the safer route to go? Wouldn't we evolve that direction? 
And that would be my argument to that conversation. But what we know as followers of Jesus or as people that believe scripture is that we were created to exist in community. And we know this from Genesis 1. We'll read verses 26 and 27. This is what it says. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. And so we see that God exists in community. We talked about this. If you missed it, you can go back and listen to it. But he says, us, let us create human beings in our image to be like us. And the truth is, we know this now, that as those who bear his image, we were created to exist in community. That we were the ones who are the image bearers. So we have this literally built into our DNA that we need other people. It is impossible for us to feel at home, to feel at place when we don't have other people. That we would start to look at, this is one of the goals of this conversation, that we would start to look at loneliness like we do hunger and thirst. When we realize we're hungry, we go get a snack, right? Because we know we need it. When we feel thirsty, we go get a drink because we know we need it. When we feel lonely, we go find a friend because we know we need it. But the reality is what the way that we're shifting, the way that we've naturally gone, and it's not bad. Like, I don't want to have any of this conversation be like, technology's bad. Don't do this. Don't do that, right? Make sure you're going to work. That's silly. Like, it's just a part of us. Like, we just have to learn what to do with it. How do we process it? How do we make sure that we're actually paying attention to the way the negative things are impacting our lives? And then how are we addressing them? And, and I think that this has become true, okay? And this is partially just observations from Pastor Corey, okay? Uh, understanding, looking at culture, and kind of seeing how we interact with one another and how we do life. And I think that this is true, that individualism and self-reliance have become our idols. That we could say, I don't need you, is, is a level up for me. That I could say, I, I, I can do this on my own. I don't need you to do it for me. Is, means I'm better off than if I need you. And we would look at ourselves and say, if I can do this on my own without anybody else's help, then I've accomplished something. You know, it's interesting when you have uh, kids and you have to have this conversation, right? Because you're trying to figure out what are the things I make them do for themselves and what are the things I help them with. It's a different conversation when my three-year-old says, "Come, t- can you tie my shoes, versus my nine-year-old. My nine-year-old, I'm going to say, forget it, go tie your own shoes. My three-year-old, I'll say, okay, I'll come help you do your shoes, right? It's a, it's a different conversation. And so there is a point where we say, we want to engage at a level where we have to learn to do this, right? We want to, at some level, be able to exist and do things on our own. We're not throwing that out. But at the same time, we recognize that there are things in life we are just built for. And one of those things we're built for is connectivity, and we need other people. And we've been told that being an individual, if somebody comes along and says that you are wrong or your identity is wrong or you, what you believe is wrong, that, that we just get rid of them. Whereas I think we need to listen to people and just at least like have the conversation. Well, why do you think that's wrong? Why are you saying that? What's going on with that? How do we recognize that other people can see us differently? And so self, or sorry, individualism and self-reliance have become our idols. And here's the other thing that I think can happen, that someone's need for us has become a weapon rather than a gift. And at times we might look at somebody and go, well, what would you do without me? We kind of hold it over their head. Uh, You shouldn't say that to me because you need me to do this. Maybe you've had a boss do that, or maybe you've had a relationship where somebody said that. 
And we look at somebody else's need for us almost as a weakness that we can twist and say, well, if you, do, if I'm not existing, like if I'm not around, what are you going to do? How are you going to process that? And we look at that as a weakness for them when they depend on us. And so we get into this space of full reliance on ourselves saying, I don't need anybody else and I can do it on my own and I don't need to engage in this way. And the reality is we find ourselves feeling very lonely. And I, I want us to recognize the reality of how we were made, right? What, what does this mean and how does this work out for us? And how do we engage in this conversation in a way that says, not only are we going to be good at it, but we're going to help other people be good at it. And so the first place I want to go today as we wrap up this series is 1 Corinthians 1, and we're going to start uh, in verse 10. So again, verses on the screen for you, but uh, as always, you can scan this QR code on the follow along or on the next steps card. Uh, it's also there on the screen. It'll take you to our follow along. If you're watching at home, you can do the same thing. Um, it's there live for you. All the verses, all the notes will be there for you, and you can track along with our conversation today. So 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10 says this, I appeal to you, Dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Now, let me pause on this verse, okay? If we're really being honest, I don't think we take this verse seriously. Because, here's why. Like, just Let's just read it again, right? I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. You're like, okay, let there be no divisions in the church. That's funny especially in Lancaster County. Now, I'm not saying anything about any other churches. I'm just saying I could go outside with a rock and hit another church. It's just the reality. So when we look at this and we go, let there be no division. Now, I'm not saying any of those churches. Like, we've worked with some of those churches. I have friends in those churches, pastors that we know and hang out with. It's not like we dislike them. I'm just saying it's interesting from the outside looking in, especially to people that don't know Jesus. They all look around and they go, so why do all you people think different things? And why do you all gather in different places? And so I think that the temptation when we look at this verse is, is like, well, there's going to be division. Like, that's not the case. But this is what Paul says. He says, don't let there be. Like, let's be of, this is interesting, right? Rather be of one mind, united in thought and in purpose. We should be thinking some of the same way, processing some of the same way, and also our purpose would be the same. Now, there might be differences in different thought process, how we would do things, whatever, and that's where we kind of have to check and balance ourselves. But, but Paul says that we should be one in this, that we should be one in thought and purpose. He goes on uh, in verses 12 and 13, it says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Every once in a while, we get to a scripture where, where the writer says something, and then they kind of play the trump card. And they go, guess what? You have to listen because this is why. This is one of those cases. right? Paul says, make allowance for each other's faults. Now, at some level, we'll look at each other and we'll go, oh, yeah, I know you're not perfect. Like, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to do this, right? But we also each kind of have this line, I think, that's like, if somebody crosses this line, if this is the place they go, I'm not forgiving them. Or if this is what they say to me, or this is how they say it, or this is what they do, it's, I'm just going to kind of build a wall there. I'm not going there anymore. And at times, it's good to have healthy boundaries between us and other people, but he says, make allowance for each other's faults. And then he says, forgive anyone who offends you. This is an interesting one, especially thinking about the culture we live in. Because if somebody offends us, 
that automatically gives us the right to write them off. Well, they should, they're just a bad person, right? They offended you. They don't listen to them anyway. They, they offended you. So we think about that, and then Paul says, don't do that. He says, forgive everyone. And then he plays the trump card, right? He goes, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. There's no yeah, but to this conversation. You should forgive everyone who offends you. Yeah, unless they, nope. Like, if Jesus forgave it, we have to. So he starts with these conversations. Like, and again, this is where I think these verses, we don't, honestly, a lot of times, in a lot of contexts, take seriously. Be of one mind, one thought, one purpose. Forgive people who offend us because Jesus has forgiven us. Like when you set this stage there, there's not a lot of room for, I can just do away with that person from my life. There's not a lot of space for that. Again, I get it. Healthy boundaries, good. But when we're thinking about it in a context of followers of Jesus, especially, it's hard to build those walls. Because, and I think this is why, because forgiveness creates relationships and offense divides people. I've said this over the conversations I've had in this series, that it is going to be so easy for Satan to get into our hearts and minds and say, this isn't worth it. And and we're talking about something that pushes us out of our comfort zone. It causes us to have to do things that we don't feel we should have to do. And when that happens, Satan can get in and go, no, this is not worth it. You're safer on your own. This is not, they don't deserve the forgiveness that we're talking about, but the, even Jesus might think about not forgiving that person, right? That, that, these are the thoughts that would maybe pop into our head about how this works. But we know that when we hold on to offense, it divides people. And we, honestly, I, I would say that it's easy to say, I really like it when someone just kind of clearly crosses the line, because that means I just don't have to worry about loving them anymore. I, I don't have to. And yet we know that forgiveness, when we look at each other and we forgive one another, it builds that relationship. It says, I, I care about you. It was interesting. I was listening uh, to something the other day, and um, they were talking about this idea of forgiveness and what that means. And they said, when you have to forgive someone, it means that their action was actually inexcusable. Like if someone bumps into you, like you're at the grocery store and you're standing in the aisle looking at something and someone backs into you, right? Right. Hopefully, you're not going to fly off the handle with that person and say, what the heck are you doing, right? You're going to like, oh, sorry. Like they say, sorry, okay, like whatever. Like you're going to excuse them because it was a mistake. They didn't mean to. They just accident. So you excuse it. They don't even really have to say they're sorry. It's just, you know, they accidentally bumped into you. But then somebody you care about says something really mean to you. Well, now it's, they shouldn't have said that. They actually crossed a line. They've done something that was sinful or they did something that was not right. And now you've got to say, okay, now there's forgiveness that needs to be addressed because that action was inexcusable. It's not something that we just go, oh, it doesn't matter. Right? It's a different conversation. And, and a lot of times we draw that line. We're okay with, oh, well, that was just an accident. I'll let it go. But once we cross that line and say that was inexcusable, we will say we won't excuse it. And yet Paul says to make allowance for each other's faults. To say that when somebody offends you, that you'll forgive them. He goes on in verses uh, 14 to 15, and he says this, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. 
And I want to key in on that first sentence, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And here's what harmony does. Harmony embraces differences to create something more beautiful. This is where we also can get a second go. Well, they don't think the same way as me. They don't practice the same way I do. They don't believe the same thing. They don't, I don't know, they don't vote the same way. They don't cheer for the same team. They don't, whatever. They, they don't do the same thing as me. So therefore, I'm going to maybe separate myself. But this idea of harmony says, no, we need differences. Like we need people that see things differently, do things differently, understand life differently. Because when we do, there's this harmony that love can bind together and it creates something more beautiful. Jesus didn't create us to live in churches that just exist exactly like we want them to exist. Like everybody in here doesn't need to believe the same thing or think the same way or understand all the same things. Like it's, there's a difference that happens in us and that harmony embraces differences to create something more beautiful. And when we're willing to engage in relationship with one another that doesn't exactly look the same all the time, it creates a more beautiful understanding of the way we see the church and the way we see the world around us. And this is what God has called us into. This, this is what we as followers of Jesus have built into our DNA to say, this is who we're supposed to be. Um, some of you may have noticed uh, there's a spot out in the lobby where we always have a poster, right? There's a big spot on the back wall where we change things out. We, we changed it out um, a couple weeks ago, and there's some verses there from Ephesians 4, and I want to read uh, that passage. The verses that are in that passage will include the two verses um, that are out there. And so we're going to start. Ephesians 4 verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Can we like pause here again real quick? What did he just say? Make allowance for each other's faults. Didn't we read that somewhere else? So what's Paul doing? Paul, if you didn't know, right, he traveled around and started all these churches. And then he writes all these letters to these churches. And what does he say to the churches? Almost the exact same thing. Because he knows this is a challenge. Like, like diversity in church opinions and divisions of church, that's not new. Like way back when they first started, there were people that had opinions and things, and they were upset at each other about stuff. And Paul comes in and he goes, don't do it. Right now, back then, this was a bigger deal. Like this doesn't, the reason I think we don't take some of those earlier verses seriously is because if we don't like our church, let's just be honest, if we don't like our church, we can just go to the other one. Or easier yet, we don't even have to go to a building. I can turn on YouTube every Sunday morning from my couch and go to church, right? So I have the option to do that. These people didn't. In fact, their churches, if they didn't survive, someone was going to have to come and start another one. And in the face of persecution and frustration and first, and, and their issues that existed back then that we don't have to, like this was, that he, Paul was like, no, you have to stick together because you are facing some difficult adversity. They didn't have the options we have. And yet, I think it's also very true of our churches today to say, this is who we're called to be. So he says that in verse 1, 2. Then he goes on verses 3 and 4. These are the verses that are on the wall in the lobby. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to be one glorious hope, to one glorious hope for the future. Verse, uh, jump down to verse 14. It says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. 
So clever they sound like the truth. Verse 15, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Verse 16, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the others grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. He says that thing about being patient again, too. Right? Be patient with each other. This, this is what I think is true, okay? That deep friendships, we know this, deep friendships take patience, and we don't have the time. Like, like this is just it. And it's not a bad thing, it's just reality, right? We start to fill our lives, we all, we have to go to work, we have family stuff going on. If you have kids, you've got kids stuff going on, you've got schedules, you've got all this kind of stuff. And, and the schedule just fills up. And all of a sudden, we're saying we need to build these deep relationships, deep friendships, and we go, when? <laughs> like, where, where's the, where's the um, margin to be able to do this? And like, let me just help us understand this. This is not going to make you feel better, but it's just going to be the, the math of it, okay? And I think I shared this before, maybe over a year ago or so. Here's what we know. In order to build relationships, this is the amount of time it takes. 50 hours and someone becomes an acquaintance. So you spend an entire work week, the, the amount of time it would take to spend in a whole work week, you spend that with a person, you've got an acquaintance, okay? 90 hours, they become a casual friend. Then you get to the 200 hours, and that's a best friend. It's a lot of time. Where do we get this? How do we find it? Now, the cool thing is, I think, I don't know this, I just, in my experience, once you, like, unlock those levels, I think they stay is really good. And the reason I think that is because if you have a best friend or somebody that you've spent, you would say, oh, absolutely, I've hit that 200-hour mark, whatever. When you get back together with them, it's like you never left. Because you, like, unlocked that level where it's like, I've spent this time with you, I know you, even if we live far apart or we don't hang out that often. When we do, it's just like, we're back together, right? So this is the good thing. Like, these hours, I think, lock in at some level, which is really good. But the reality is it takes time. And we struggle to find it because of just life. And this is part of the challenge is saying, how are we going to intentionally go to a place where we can actually do this? And this is what I really want us to grab from verse 16. Actually, I'm going to read it again. It says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Here's what I want to see it. We need other people to become who we were called to be. This is what he says, right? This is not Pastor Cor. This, this is Paul, right? As each part does its own special work. We've talked about this. That everybody here has their own job to do. You are gifted in a way that I'm not. I need you to sharpen me. You need me to sharpen you. We all need each other to help each other grow. This is, this is the point, right? They all do their own special part. It helps the other parts grow so that what? So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We come back to that love idea, which builds the harmony. This is what it is. Like all the parts have to work together, invest in one another, sharpen one another, and continue doing that. And if we don't, we don't grow the way that we're supposed to spiritually. That's the reality. So when we look at this and we go, that's a lot of time. We go, yeah, but if we do it, then the whole body grows and becomes more healthy, and that's positive for everybody. The problem is, and this is the challenge we deal with, and it's not wrong, it's just a reality, that we have a difficult time getting there, and we have a difficult time building these relationships because we don't have the patience or the time for it. And we don't like the idea of having to spend all that time. So these are the challenges. We know it. 
here. But here's the thing. Our culture is asking why. And we have the opportunity to give them the answer. So here's the question, okay? How do we create a deeper community? I read a book uh, in preparation for this conversation about a month and a half ago uh, called Find Your People by a woman named Jenny Allen. Um, really good book. Would recommend it to everyone. Just just warn you, she's a little bit crazy, okay? In a good way. If you're watching Jenny, in a good way. Okay, so like, it, it's just... But her level of like community, I'm just saying, if I stood up here and go, this is where we're, our, our community is going to go, some of you would leave. I'm just being honest. Because it is at a point where... Their lives are so inter- intertwined, or however you say it, like it, it's, it's out there, okay? I'm just saying, go read the book and hear it for yourself. I'm not saying that that's the place we're going, but here's what I'm saying. She lists five ways that we have to engage with one another, and I think that they were really helpful, and I want to share them with us. Um, and I think that they're just true when we think about how we need to do this. So here's, here's the first one, proximity. Um, we have to just get around each other. <laughs> If we're not around one another, we can't get to know one another. We can do it sort of right when we're apart, but it doesn't work as well. Um, For the first really two years of my and Becca's relationship, we were mostly long distance. Um, I went to school at Philadelphia Biblical, which is now Cairn University, and she was at Penn State main campus. So we started dating before my junior year. I always get messed up with her years because she finished college in three years because she's super smart. Um, and then, but my years, right? Because I took four years because I'm not as smart. So junior year, uh, we were dating. So we dated and we were mostly apart because we both lived on campus. We were three and a half hours apart. Um, and then my senior year, we were engaged. So we spent most of that time apart. And we would talk on the phone or we would, this is a throwback too, right? Our, our, uh, laptops didn't actually have cameras on them, so we would get webcams that you actually plugged into the USB port. They didn't work. Um, but we would use that every once in a while. So we would spend a lot of our time talking just long distance. And then it was really boiled down to, for the most part, every three weeks we would see each other. That's kind of how we would work it out. Either I would come home and she would come home, or I'd drive to Penn State, or she'd drive. We figured it out. But it was usually a three-month, or sorry, three-week cadence for when we saw each other. And talking on the phone was great. But what did we look forward to? Every three weeks, right? We had that weekend circled where we actually got to hung out and be together and go get dinner or go to the movies or whatever we would do, right? We, we enjoyed that time more. We wanted the proximity. And here's the reality, right? If our relationship was just going to stay like forever, a three-week thing, I don't think either of us would have been really excited about that because we wanted to be together, right? That was the point. And so when we recognize this, we know that, yes, a relationship can continue to develop using whatever methods, right? Phone calls, FaceTimes, whatever. But when we're together, it's different. And so we have to commit to, and say, we're going to get together. We're going to be physically in the same space and having conversation and seeing each other's faces and eyeballs and, and being able to have that kind of conversation. Here's the second thing, uh, is transparency. That, that we would be willing to, to share what's actually going on and not just be how about that weather today, or how about the game, or how about the whatever? And this isn't like, I have to divulge all my deep, dark secrets, but it's just like, when someone comes in, and or you walk in, and they say, hey, how you doing? And you're like, oh, everything's great. And on the inside, you're like, everything sucks, right? It's just like, we're just honest. Like, it, it's in there. And no one wants to be the person that's like, hey, how are you How are you doing? And you're like, everything is the worst. I hate this. And the person's probably like, uh, what do I do with this, right? And you're like, what do I do on the other side? But there's that middle ground of like, you know, today's been kind of hard. I'm just, I want to get some coffee and I want to hang out. I'm like, all right, yeah, let's hang out. It, it, 
it's not a unloading on people, but it's also a, I'm just being honest. And so we, we have to be willing to be transparent. Here's the third thing, that we would have accountability. Now, accountability in a Christian context kind of is really, we all get, right? Like, what do I do with that? Like, you're just going to ask me what all my deep, dark sins are. That's not the point. But the point is to say, who's allowed to understand what you're going through and give some input? Like, who's allowed to look at you and say, hey, I've been noticing some things. Have you thought about this? Like, I've been a little worried with the way you're interacting with that person. Can Maybe we should just talk about that, right? It's like, it's like I, I'm not attacking you. You're not divulging on But it's like, who's allowed to just kind of like maybe see you get off course a little bit and bump you back on? And, you, and you're willing to say to that person, yeah, like, come have that conversation with me. Like, like you're welcome to do that. Sometimes people um, worry about that in church context. And, and I'll just tell you, and you can uh, check around with the elders or whatever. But, like, I've said that to guys in our church. Like, you are welcome to come have the conversation with me. If you see something, if you notice something, like, come out of the conversation. I would much rather have the conversation. So are we doing that in life just with the people that are around us? Here's the fourth thing, a shared purpose. And this is big when it comes to the church world because we should have a shared purpose. Listen, our shared purpose when we come on Sundays should not simply be, I want to come sit down, have a cup of coffee, and sing, and then go about my week. That's not a shared purpose. That's like a country club. The purpose is we want to reach other people. Now, that involves, again, all the parts working together so we all grow, right? That's the point of we come together, we worship God, we learn, we connect, we encourage one another, all that stuff so that then what? We can go into our world, whatever context we're in, and have those conversations with people and show people what it's like to do life this way. But we've got to pick up that shared purpose. This is why this works not in church world, right? You have people that are on boards together or on teams together, whatever. When you share a purpose, it builds relationship. Our shared purpose is sharing the gospel. So we get the opportunity to do that, and we come alongside one another, and we do that. Here's the fifth thing, consistency. The other part of way of saying this is commitment. And this one, all, this one has to happen for all the others to happen. Because you and I know if we feel like someone's got one foot out the door or they really don't care about us or they're just going to leave, then we don't want to share our secrets with them. We're not, we're not going to open up to them because I don't know where they're going to go and I don't know who they're going to tell and they're not invested in my life, so why am I going to be open? So when we look at this as, as a church family, we want to say that we're committed to each other. That we would say we want to have all these other things and we're going to stay so that we can build these things over time. And so when we look at how to do this, these things, these five things really create the space for us to be able to do this. And I would just say it a little bit differently and just say it this way, that we need to give people permission to see into our shadows. Now, what does that mean? I mean, we all know this. There's the public part of us that everyone can see right? It's the part of us that we are at church. It's the part of us we are at work. It's the part we post on social media, okay? And then there's like our shadow side, okay? Just go with me for a minute. There's the people talk about this. There's a shadow side. What, what is that? It's, it's our things we don't say out loud, right? It, it's the voice that's in our head or it's the, the pro- thoughts we have at home or it's the struggles we're going, that are going on that we don't tell other people about. And there, there's that part of us, right? And not everybody gets to see that. that it's, and that's the way it should be, right? There's some part of us that's like it's private, but for our closest friends or our closest relationships, like they're allowed to kind of shine light into that and say, what's going on? 
But when no one's able to see that, we allow bad things to, like that's where sin grows. It shows up in that spot and then it starts to go and it, and it takes over and starts to get worse. And when no one's there, no one's able to give us some accountability. No one's able to kind of speak into our lives. That's where the bad stuff starts to happen. And it just continues to happen. And it grows and grows and grows and grows. This is why we get lonely. And when we don't tell anybody, it gets worse. Because we don't allow people into that part of us. And again, I'm not saying everybody. It's not a, hey, let's tell everybody about all the problems. It, but there is a part of us that we have to say, there has to be someone. There has to be two someones that can see into what's going on and can say, can I help you? Can I, can I ask you about that? Can I be a part of helping you understand this? I want to share two uh, quotes just as we wrap this up and I share about something new that we're going to try um, coming up. First one is from uh, the woman who wrote that book, Jenny Allen. She said this in the book, that if every believer on earth was united and of one mind on mission together, the church would be unbelievably dangerous in a good way. That if we could actually take those verses we talked about and we took them seriously and we said, we're going to do this together, the things we could do if we were truly unified in thought and purpose would change our community. It would change a lot of things. It would change our lives because we would be willing to go there. And then another one is from a man, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you don't know him, he was a pastor um, in the 40s. His story is pretty cool. He was in, he was in Germany. He's a German pastor. Um, he was involved in a plot to actually kill Hitler. Like he was looking at churches around the area at the time and saying, this is not right. They shouldn't bow to the Reich and we're going to stand up to them. Um, and he actually died in a concentration camp that I had the opportunity to visit. But he said this. He said, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. What he's saying is sometimes we allow our individual ideas of what our community should be to get in. Our preferences, our desires, the way we would do it. And when we make that the standard, we will destroy it because it's all about us. And the reality is when we can step back and go, I'm a part of it, I get to sharpen everybody else and I get to help everybody else, but I need them to do it for me too. Then all of a sudden that community is not just about us, it's about everybody. And so I, I want that to be the case for us, that we would look at one another, we would have this commitment, we would do these things, and we would say that this is the opportunity we have. And if we do this, like if we start here, we can't start with everybody else, right? You can't start with changing everybody else. The person we have to start change with is us. And I would say this too, like just blank statement, I think we actually do this pretty well. Like when we talk to new people that come in and are a part of just like visitors, one of the things that they say over and over again is we were welcomed, we feel at home, they talked to us, they said hi to us, it was like we were welcomed and everybody was happy about it. And so that's, this is a good thing. I'm not preaching this because we would look at us and say, man, we're bad at this, right? No, actually, I think we're pretty good at it. But the thing is, if we're good at it, let's get great at it. Let's take it to the next step and say, we want to do this so well that when other people see us doing this or feel this in our context, they can't help but want to be a part of it. That's where I want us to be. And when people experience just doing life with us in other contexts, they see this connection that we have and, and they're maybe feeling this, these pangs of loneliness and they look at what we have and they go, you don't seem lonely at all. Why? And then we have the opportunity to tell them about this. And so I, I send an email out. Uh, I think I sent it Friday night. So maybe you got it Friday night or maybe you got it yesterday morning. We're going to try something that's an experiment. Okay, so let me first of all say that this idea is not something that we're going, this is what GFC is going to do, and we're going to do it forever. That's not the point of this conversation, okay? The 
point of this conversation is we recognize that this is a challenge for us, for people in our culture, right? So what I didn't want to do was let's spend a month talking about loneliness and how to do this and then go, okay, that's it. We're done. Go do it, right? That felt like that was a dropped opportunity, okay? So we're starting something that we're calling uh, proximity groups. Now, let me explain to you what this is, and then you can read on our website a little bit more if you're interested. We do already have small groups, right? So those small groups are going. We typically do that. Uh, you sign up for those in September, and you go through kind of the school year, meeting every other week, and those are awesome, and they're great. And, and we love them, and they're doing awesome. I'm so glad that, we're, that we have a good amount of people involved in them, and they are really, really good. But when we're talking about some of the kind of relationship stuff that we're talking about in this loneliness conversation, some of our groups are too big to do that. So like my group, I think, is 12 adults plus all of our children, okay? That's a small church plant, okay, in my opinion, all right? So it's great, and we love it, and it's awesome. But it's difficult to do what we're talking about today. So what we want to do is create this opportunity, and I'll give you kind of the nutshell version. Um, you can sign up for this on our website now. If this is something you're interested in, you can just sign up and we'll take these steps with you. The goal is for these groups, you can either sign up as an individual or as a couple, okay? So if you sign up as an individual, we'll keep the groups gender specific and it'll be a group of three to five, okay? So really small, not a lot of people. It's not getting to a small church plant, okay? If you sign up as a couple, we're gonna team you up with two to three other couples. So at the most, you've got eight people. We'll probably even try and keep it to six. And the goal is to say, you're going to meet together six times over the rest of 2024. Okay. So we get this set up in the next couple weeks. You've got basically 10 months, 10 and a half months to meet six times. That's it. You're committing to six days of the year moving forward. Okay. What are these groups going to be? That's kind of your opportunity. Like one of the things I put on the website was this isn't supposed to be like, let's just sit around and talk about our feelings all the time go out to dinner, like make this a time where, or go get a dessert or go do whatever, like make this a time that you actually look forward to. There's not going to be a book study. There's not going to be anything, but what there is going to be is we're going to give you questions that are going to kind of draw hopefully a little more out of you. So I'll give you an example. Uh, We might ask you uh, what's really going on at work right now and how do you feel about it? So again, we're not going to sit around and go share all your deepest, darkest secrets, (laughs) But we are going to get you past, how's the weather outside, right? What are the kids' schedules? We're going to push you that. If it's a couple, if you're in it as a couple, we might ask you a question. It's going to be a little bit proud. We might say, what are the best and worst parts of your marriage right now, and how can we pray for you? So again, there's going to be a need to be honest, right, and open and transparent. But the goal is not to dig into each other. The goal is to say we want to be there for each other and create this kind of space where we can say, We're being honest, we're being transparent, we're being open, and all of that stuff. And so we'll provide it for you, we'll figure it out, we'll get you guys in a group, and we'll say, how does this work? If you're already in a small group, and multiple of you from the same small group sign up, we might keep you together. So that that way you're like, okay, I already have some sort of relationship with these people, let's go a little bit deeper with these people, right? And we give that opportunity to go, again, I just want to say, this is not something that we're just saying we're going to do this forever. Let's give it a shot. So I'm saying if you're at all interested in this, please sign up and just try it with us because we're going to get feedback along the way. We might get to the end of this year and go, that was a dumb idea. We're not going to do that again. Or we might get to the end of the year and go, that was really good. We just want to tweak some things. Let's jump into it. Okay. We're going to try it. We're going to throw it against the wall and see what happens. But here's what I don't want us to do. Okay. 
don't go, I don't really feel like someone knows me and not sign up for this. We're asking you to do six days in the next year. At worst, you wasted six days, really probably three hours, six times, right? It's not even a whole day. We're saying give it a shot. And if, I'll just say this, right? This is my goal. If one person that's feeling lonely says, I now have lasting relationships where I don't feel lonely anymore, and everybody else goes, this is dumb, I still think we did a good job. Because somebody's out there that needs to feel this, right? Needs to have this kind of community. And so I would challenge us. Again, it's on the website. It's right there. You can sign up for it. If you're feeling like you want this at all, don't let Satan talk you out of it. Don't let the schedule talk you out of it. Because the other thing we're saying, just so a warning, for those of us that have kids, we're saying get a babysitter, okay? We're not doing this with the rugrats running around, okay? We want to be able to like, hey, lock in, right? I'm the one with three rugrats too, okay? So I get it. So we want to lock in and say, let's be honest with one another. Let's have the conversation. I know there's going to be a lot of hurdles to this. I know that this is something that you might just go, I don't really know if it's worth it, right? Six days. If you don't like it, you never have to do it again. But let's not say, I'm lonely or I feel this or I want this, but I'm not going to try. The best thing we can do is try and get connected in this way. I've really enjoyed having this conversation. I've really enjoyed this series. Um, I hope it's been impactful, and I want it to be something that we can come back to other times and have the conversation. Here, if, if you're curious, here's where we're going. We're going to look at um, the book of Acts is going to be kind of a home base for us uh, this year. So we're going to go into the book of Acts. And after we do a little bit of book of Acts for the next few weeks, we're actually going to go into a study called Why Church? Why do we do church? What does that look like? Why is it something we put so much stock in? So this idea of like relationship conversation and what we do and how it's a part of us, it's going to continue to be a part of, of where we're going. But I want us to be a place where we can feel that we are known and we know other people. That loneliness is not something we struggle with. That loneliness is something we feel at times, but we know how to address it. And the best part is that we would be able to hand that to people that don't know Jesus. Because if they don't know Jesus, they, they struggle to find this. And it, the statistics just say that. Um, our kids, just by the way, Gen Z, it's over 70% of them struggle with loneliness. So this is, it's, it's worse, right? It's, it's trickling down. And so we, if we can get good at it, we can hand it to them and say, this is how we know and understand this. This is what we want to do. So don't stay lonely. We've got the opportunity. We know how to do it. We've got the places to jump in and connect with other people. Don't talk yourself out of it. Let's make sure we jump in and do what we can do to address the loneliness issues and to be, right, who God has called us to be and allow other people to help shape that as well. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this time we got to spend on this conversation of, of loneliness and the, the need that is clearly there for us as people. You've created us this way because you exist uh, this way. And so I, I pray, you know, at the beginning of the series, I prayed for people that raised their hand that said they were lonely. I pray that um, those people would have the opportunity to jump into these groups and, and to really know other people, to connect well. Um, I pray that this you know, we're not going to just get rid of loneliness. Like, we're all going to feel lonely at times. But I pray that we would create the avenues and the understandings of knowing how to deal with it and not just saying, well, it's just a feeling or I'll get past it or whatever. Like, actually doing something about it because you've called us to be. And I pray that each of us would have the 
Oh, the desire to say, I want what Paul wrote to be true of me, of me, that I would allow other people to shape me, to grow me, so that we are healthier together as a group. I know that's something that we are not always good at, but I pray that we would take the steps to allow that to happen. In Jesus' name, amen.